You guys know it's the year of the dragon. Dragging these balls across. <laughs> dragging these nuts. <laughs> and there you go. Intro. There you go, Bennett. <laughs> There's your hard intro. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for words that we say. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture, where it's always our mission to arm you with the tools you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mononarrative. In case you noticed, we didn't release an episode last week. There was an unfortunate occurrence, uh, perhaps to be blamed on some occult forces. We're not sure. But this is take two of that episode. David, what are we talking about today? Satan can't stop this podcast. That's all I'm saying. The he power of Christ be. compels you. That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. We're, so we're going to redo our year in review podcast, but this time shorter, sweeter, and uncut. So, ooh. Yeah. You know. Well, and while you're here, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you are watching us, YouTube, Rumble, whatever. And uh, we cover a variety of topics. Check the chapter marks down below to jump to whatever you want. And uh, I believe we're just about to hit 600 subscribers on YouTube, too. That's right. So that's, I'm not sure how that number's changed since the last time we recorded, but... Well, we didn't put out no. any content, so it hasn't really gone up yet. Yeah, so it probably hasn't moved. <laughs> uh, we also have a, a, an interesting surprise coming very soon. We mentioned that in the prior recording that you didn't hear, so we're going to just tease it again. Very interesting new developments for Human Reaction coming to you. All right, let's jump right into it. We've got uh, we've got some of our most covered stories. We're just going to recap. We don't really need to go into a lot of detail on these. We're just going to run you through what were some of the most important stories that we covered last year, starting with Ukraine. David, do you feel like uh, we were able to accomplish what we set out to do with the Ukraine coverage? You know, I think the, the larger context of Ukraine has changed. We've seen a shift specifically among the populist right on the issue as they've coalesced around an anti-war stance. It's consistent with the America First perspective. It took some time to get there, and it definitely was 2023 when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, Biden corruption. This story certainly evolved throughout the year. You know, we started with uh, some little leaks here and there. Obviously, the laptop was a huge component of this. Um, first, that was fake, and then it was admitted as real. And then there were uh, bank records and all sorts of other things that came out. Uh, and now we're, we're staring down the barrel of some impeachment uh, proceedings going into 2024. What's, you know, where are we leaving that for the year? Yeah, I mean, it's a formal impeachment inquiry is where we're at now. Um what that means is that there's still several steps to go before we get to real impeachment. And then it's not, it probably in vote in the Senate. There's not enough independent votes in the Senate to make the difference to actually prosecute Biden for corruption um, or hold him accountable unless something drastically changes from the given circumstances that we're in right now. Uh, but that said, it's going to be a big part of the dynamic for politics and the culture and the way we think of government in the next year. Yeah, it could certainly weigh into the election that we're coming And the into. court of public opinion has just shifted on it so much, too. Like, before it was just, you know, radical, like, MAGA people that were the only ones talking about the story. And now just the general populace is like, it's all on their mind. Biden corrupt, you know, the whole family, everything like that, right? Yeah. Uh, and speaking of, of shifts, obviously, uh, the war uh, in Israel and Palestine has been a, a huge uh, catalyst for a lot of things. Obviously, it's been a, a terrible tragedy, and it has uh, primarily uh, shifted Republicans' views on being anti-war. Where you mentioned Ukraine had sort of uh, brought conservatives around to an anti-war stance, the war in Israel has, has sort of shifted that, has it not? That's been the domestic policy of result, and it's also it's it's a long-term blowback of the Trump administration's work on the Abrahamic Accords. 
We know that the the real incentive for Hamas to attack now at this time is to drive a wedge between Israel and the other and the, and the states that they were you know cutting these peace deals with. Uh, because to them, the issue of their time that they care most about, the Palestinians, of course, is the resolution of their land, that, that what they feel like was taken from them. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, yeah, the Israel Hamas, especially getting kind of like coverage of both sides of that story and trying to get people on a comprehensive view. Um, you know, we, of course, jumped into there. And then what we've seen, at least what I think I've seen is, is Israel systematically, they've been all the progress with the tangible war, the actual prosecution of um uh, Hamas and, you know, while losing the air war uh, to, I think, a more simple, th- sympathetic globe, uh, even as there was a lot of outrage about October 7th and what happened, uh, understandably, uh, there's, you know, this security dilemma that Israel's in where they have such a dangerous foe right on their doorstep and, uh, you know, their methods that they've decided to do use to prosecute this war have resulted in largely the global, you know, opinion, I think, turning against them. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it seems like things are, are certainly spilling out into the region. Obviously, there have been disruptions to major um, shipping routes, and there are now yep. warships, both American and Iranian, heading towards what seems because like an impending Yemen conflict. The Yemen war, because we've, ta- we've talked about the Yemen war before, and everything that's been going on there, that we've been supporting Saudi Arabia's war against the Houthis in Yemen for, what, four years now? I mean, six years now, something like that. It's been a, it's been, it's been a long blockade of Yemen that's resulted in a, one of the worst humanitarian crises up until Israel Hamas and the Palestine uh, issue. Yeah, long, longer than that. It's been back since Obama. Like yeah. Well, I know like the whole yeah. story goes all the way back to Obama, but I mean like the, where we're at right now, where uh, it's a long story and yeah. we, we actually covered it like in like February. Mm-hmm. Um, but those guys are the ones that are shooting rockets. At I mean, and this, this is one of those great like keyhole moments too, where a bunch of people are just wait, there's a war going on in Yemen. Like the, like the Bond Republic's finally figured that out. And oh, wait, we've been on one side of this war for a very long time. And the people who we've been bombing don't like it. You know, kind of moment that we're in right now yeah. where it's like, well, of course they're attacking our shipping. And of course they're doing this because they want to gen up a sympathy from the Muslim world against the Saudis. Right. Sounds like some time slice bias going on here. I think you can look out for some deep dive conflict <laughs> coverage. Some deep journalistic <laughs> research from David Rand in 2024 oh, on that. Uh, another interesting dynamic around the Israel Hamas stuff, too, is just the dynamic on the right and kind of where the dividing lines are lying. And some of it seems to be generational, but not entirely. Like you end up having kind of the neocon Ben Shapiro's of the world that are taking like the very pro Israel stance, right? And then you have like Tucker Carlson, Vivek Ramaswamy that are much more of like, the America first, they're kind of like, we shouldn't be funding it. And they're kind of like the Overton window is just like an interesting spot on that. Like everybody's kind of like support Israel no matter what, but like the Overton window of how much you actually support, is it just diplomatic? Is it economic, et cetera? Yeah. Is, is an interesting. Hmm. Speaking of, uh, of the Overton window as well, uh, the public sentiment around uh, censorship really changed last year, especially with the Twitter files. Kyle, what, what was the significance there for you? Um, well, I, it shows how much these intelligence agencies have been actively participating in the censorship regime by going to, and we're just seeing it with Twitter, but it seems obvious that it's happening with the others, right? Where they're actually going in, uh, paying money. They're they're kind of like telling the uh, the social media platforms to censor individuals, even just like small accounts. They're uh, 
and it's kind of unveiled this entire apparatus of like how the money inflows happen for the censorship to work for the, the government to kind of go around the first amendment and outsource the, the, the problem to the companies to fix. So that the government's not technically in, like intervening, but they kind of are, you know, they like it, it, that the, it, it's the, the way it's done has become unveiled to the public at large. Um, you know, for so long, there was just like, you just have these crazy figures like Alex Jones or, you know, Donald Trump or whatever. They get banned and they're high profile. But like, we're starting to see that, you know, exactly how the how the sausage was made on that. Yeah, which it, nobody should ever, ever want to know. Uh, speaking of Donald Trump, the last major story of our year in review, uh, Trump legal saga. I mean, he's been through so many court hearings i don't think that any of us could actually name how many charges he's facing or uh or honestly how many courts are taking up cases around his uh you know him uh we, we did just recently have uh colorado and maine remove trump from the ballot and then colorado put him back on the ballot and california said they wouldn't take him off the ballot so david do you think this is going to be something that spills over into 24 as other states either decide yay or nay and will this go to the supreme court uh, yeah, if it goes to Supreme Court, probably it's it's difficult to say what's going to happen. It depends on probably getting a real prosecution uh, to go all the way through to conviction in time, which doesn't seem likely. But you never know; they might expedite it. Um, there is a lot of questions still about whether or not you know the particular article of the Constitution will be interpreted by an originalist or textualist like Gorsuch or Roberts, uh, or no, not Roberts. Who am I thinking of? Clarence Thomas uh, to imply that with a conviction on some kind of felony charge or election overthrow charge i don't know if they're going to be able to do that um yeah, that, that would that, that would result in an actual suspension from him from being an eligible candidate because, that's the real question and the real interpretation that they would be taking up is be, because the constitution doesn't specifically state that one has to be convicted of insurrection there's sort of some interpretation there as to well then how how do you come to the conclusion that one has is is guilty of that in order to be held accountable under this clause right yeah my and my my guess is okay so there's 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 the people who think that the power is the only thing that exists right there's no ideological commitments by anyone it's all just power politics just with the dress up of ideological commitment and what is the supreme court right there are a bunch of people who at least two of them were appointed by trump so they're all what are they going to do they're going to you know they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them would be their argument. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true in this case. I think a lot of these guys have multi-decades, you know, commitment to textualism and originalism. So what are they going to do? Well, the the vagueness that you're mentioning is an opportunity for them to use that textualism, originalism to get out of the, the quandary they're in, right? Because if they do allow for the suspension of, a you know, the most popular candidate in the race, uh, there's going to, there's a lot of social costs to that. Right. And they, and I do think they do weigh that. Um, it, but they have to put it through that filter of how do I justify this? You know, using my view of what the, the just role of the judiciary is. So if it goes to Supreme court, that's an interesting story that might play out this year. Uh, the other one is just every time that they bring a new legal case, every time there's news coverage, of legal a legal case, Trump actually gets more popular. Which is such an interesting dynamic. Yeah. It's, it's blowback, you know, just <sighs> domestic politics, right? It's, you know, blowback ex expands beyond just a foreign policy uh, theory, right? Yeah. It happens all over the place. It's true. And we talk about it a lot because um, it's ever present. 
another thing that you actually skipped over, uh, Joe, was the conservative rebellion in Congress mm, as I a did. major story. There was there's two major speaker fights that happened over this year. Um, again, kind of showcasing the divisions on the right, but you have these holdout types like the Matt Gates, the uh, Matt Rosendales, um, those types. Uh, really, I think doing a very good job as like a minority opinion in Congress and kind of getting what they want and using their minority status to be able to like really sway power dynamics within Congress quite well. Yeah. So, so much to the point that ended up getting a new speaker with Mike Johnson, right? Yeah. And we will see how, how his uh, speakership impacts the uh, year to come, obviously an election year and a lot of contentious things weighing, but curious to know, for those of you listening and watching, what was your most impactful story for 2023, looking back on a really busy year? Uh, we'd love to let, uh, have you let us know in the comments. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to unf*** the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. At this point, guys, let's let's transition uh, into our sort of best of, uh, starting with our most cringe moment of the year, and I will lead it off. My most cringe moment of the year was our dear friend Mitt Romney and his hot dog day video. <laughs> let's check it out. Well, as you all know, today is National Hot Dog Day, and uh, perhaps you also know that hot dog is my favorite meat. I love hot dogs. Uh, I love them in buns. I love them outside of buns. I love them with baked beans. I just like hot dogs. It's the best, you know, best meat there is without question. So to all of you who like me are celebrating uh, National Hot, hot Dog Day, uh, congratulations to you. And may there be many, many more hot dogs served in our wonderful land. I'm Mitt Romney and I approve this message. I just like hot dogs. Uh, I, I like I actually think that that might be my favorite clip after you put it on the thing. I was just like, I forgot. I forgot about it. And it's just so, so such a juicy clip. It really is as juicy as a as a, as a Johnsonville nice brat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I just don't know that I've ever been told congratulations for for like a hot dog day right like that's such a weird thing to say congratulations to you on hot dog day what does the hot dog lobby have over senator romney what do they do oscar myers coming in hot for oscar myers the deep state the true deep state big hot big dog, hot dog. <laughs> yeah I, I heard they're rolling out an oscar meyer wiener mobile with uh you know uh ground to air missiles on it it's gonna be rolled out in the middle east here soon. That, that did come from an episode that we had called uh, titled the hot dogs and cluster bombs that's right yeah, right? Uh, yeah. that's uh, right we did name a whole episode about it so obviously it was an impactful <laughs> moment for the year it just it was it's so good it's just like such a good moment 
confidence uh, he says without question yeah. <laughs> is no debate no debate it's only one best meat not chicken not brisket not, not a not good steak. juicy steak yeah no 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 just the just like the, the weird like pink goo that falls off of the production line that they stuff into anyway hot dogs um, Kyle, what was yours? Uh, mine was uh, <laughs> mine was uh, that cringe DeSantis uh, smile moment at the debates, and he he actually did. There's actually two different debates where the exact same clip came out of it, basically. So uh, here's a very very short uh, cringy moment from Ron DeSantis. And as your president, I will not let you down. God bless you, Governor DeSantis. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the tongue sneaking in there is, is yeah, the that's subtle the weird part moment. Of that. Yeah, it's yeah, like, it, just like I don't it, know how to smile like a human. It's so strange. It, it, it's, it's, it's sort of like a. Uh, <gasps> it's sort of like the. Uh, it makes me think of like the anchor man. I don't know what to do with my hands. Clip, yeah. but it's just like I don't know what to do with my tongue. <laughs> like, like, Keep it in your mouth. Where <laughs> does it go? <laughs> but it also does. I think it it encapsulates a bigger picture of kind of how much of a flop the Ron DeSantis campaign is. Like this is just like a funny, goofy moment, but. Like he just lacked the charisma and it just never took off despite all last year. He was kind of like, oh, he might be the guy that replaces Trump, right? Like he's going to be the guy. Conservatives are going to get behind him. Everybody loves him. But nobody had really. And I, I had predicted this yeah, early on this. the podcast. I think when I was still a guest before I joined the podcast. Yeah, it was like, like February. You were like, he's just too nerdy. People haven't seen him enough to know that they that they he's actually a nerd and and i think that's actually kind of boring yeah, he, he just doesn't have the the it factor that's going to capture the attention of people really and unlike your boy vivek unlike my boy vivek right which he's captured a lot of attention like the poll numbers I, obviously i i think he's like a lot of people's second candidate because they prefer trump right for the moment that exists right yeah but he has definitely captured the internet by storm like go to any clips on youtube and you'll see uh, he gets way more views than any of the other candidates, right? Um, he is the internet candidate, the, kind of that third party element. And but, yeah. I think just yesterday it was announced or he announced that he's not going to be participating in the CNN debate coming up. Uh, he's going to be hosting a, a live a, show with a Tim, town hall with Tim cast yeah. with, with Tim pool. Yeah. So he's, uh, abandoning network news in favor of, of going with the internet culture, which I think is smart because he's pulling last of the remaining field, uh, doesn't seem very likely that he's going to capture the nomination. So he's really, I think just putting his eggs in the future basket and, and really focusing on his future constituents, which are, you know, the younger demographics, David, what was your most cringe moment of the year? You guys is like fun and happy. Mine's like sad, depressing. <laughs> but it is great. That, that, that it was that very cringe. Uh, this is Joe Biden talking to the people of Maui. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. Joe Biden is trying to relate to regular people, but he fails. And it's so cringe. It's so terrible. And it's just... 
not to compare, but then I'm going to compare. And then I'm going to make up a bunch of stuff that didn't happen. That's been proven that didn't happen. And he's been telling the same lie forever. And he's never held accountable for it. And this just, it just demonstrates how ridiculous our president is, how ridiculous the media accountability around him is. It's just, it's absolutely absurd. It also makes me think of, there's tons of clips like this, just like that go back to when he was spry and he was actually like very sharp mm-hmm. where he was doing the same stuff. He's just like talking about how I was the top of my class. It turns out he wasn't, you know, yeah. like all this stuff, right? Like he's, he, this is a very common gaffe for him to make is just uh, kind of blatantly just, talking stream of consciousness like lies out because he comes from an age where the you, internet you, you didn't exist you right? fact check <laughs> yeah, it there so was no fact checking on it well this is a really interesting evolution then for a guy you know for a guy who was a sort of a uh historical liar to then become senile it's like dude just like bets are off on yeah. what he's gonna say and obviously this is one of those cases and even if it was true like just in what world can you equate almost losing your car and your cat to what happened in Maui? That's yeah, just right. there's a time and place incredibly right. out of touch. Well, imagine if George Bush showed up on 9-11 and be like, yeah, this one time, you know, I hit the garage when I was trying to park my car. <laughs> and that was, wouldn't that be the most cringe moment you've ever seen? Well, this is, this is kind of like what he did, right? I mean, it's absolutely, you got these people who are in profound suffering. You look at the guys behind them as they're just like, oh my God, is he really going to say this? It's he it, did. And the fact that there's a group of people who are just like, I can forgive that. Yeah, whatever. At least he's good on abortion. Well, the, the, I think the thing <laughs> is the mainstream media just doesn't really show this stuff. Right. Yeah. People, most people probably don't even know. But I think you win for most cringe clip because there's no way that, that it gets more cringe than that. <sighs> but the hot dogs, man. I mean, the hot the dogs is funny <laughs> and cringe. This funny was just cringe, purely cringe. cringe. Yeah. On to our next category. Uh, highlight of the year. Kyle, why don't you start this one off? What was your highlight of 2023? I was just generally excited for all the new technologies and stuff. Um, AI and crypto is two areas that captured my attention quite heavily. Uh, obviously, everybody knows I'm kind of like the crypto degen of the podcast. So, uh, you know, we existed in this time post post bull cycle like where everybody was super hyped and now nobody like has been talking about it for the last year but so much cool stuff has been building in the background and now i think we're starting to see the rise and the comeback of it right now so i think there's going to be a lot more hype in that area and then just ai and i think dave would agree with me here that this was his big thing was uh like the rise of the llm ai uh, uh llm ai um, and kind of like watching the different uh, warfare that's going on with the uh, kind of like the EAC movement and the, uh, <laughs> I feel like you're about to <laughs> And of course, the Biden administration's regulations of it. AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. <laughs> kind of had to. I, I, saw, I saw Joe just like waiting with a button. Yeah. I was just like, what, what is happening right now? What's going on? Poised over yeah, the button. No, just you waiting got, for You got to ignore it. You got to ignore it so That's you can right. jump in. But yeah, yeah, you're right. The LLMs, large language models, was like, I think, the big change this year. I think if you're writing a history book, you're going to say this year, the introduction of AI to a mass audience. Um, also, the graphic image software yeah. here, Midjourney, Midjourney, uh, Leonardo, a bunch of these things are really cool. Have really changed the scene uh, online when it comes to digital art. When it comes to lots of stuff, introducing a whole new suite of political problems, regulation problems, and yeah, the the regulation of pushback. I mean, the effective accelerationism and the surrounding ideological buttress to immediately push back on the Biden administration for their regulation of GPUs in order to prevent AI from you know, getting out of control in this like tech panic equivalent to 
and I actually found this this analogy like really perfect, especially if you've read The Sovereign Individual. It's like a tech panic equivalent to um, Y2K, right? Where everyone's convinced that Y2K, everything was going to crash down in 1999. And if you're a millennial, sorry, but if you're a millennial, you really remember this. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were like in a bunker in the Elkhorns on Y2K. Right? Seriously? I, I was five. Really, no. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> we went to my cousin's place. And that was like... You know, like it was a huge deal and then it was a big nothing burger, right? Yeah. Well, I think the large language model uh, becoming sentient and taking over the world, be- turning us all into paper clips is like Y2K yeah. in, in reality. It's just an overreaction and it's probably not as big a deal as people say. And yeah. also on the regulatory side, like I'm very excited to see all the tech nerds. There, there's, there's this division happening and the tech nerds are kind of like peeling away from their traditional like lefty San Francisco vibe. I'm like noticing there's actually like um, real ideological division that's forming. And we're watching these like lobbying arms of the crypto and of the AI people starting to actually have like real effect in Washington right now. Um, and I, so I'm excited to see where that moves going forward in the 2024 um kind of era and also just like the election i think it's going to have impact on the election and one more note on that is yeah with the rise of like the thought leadership of the effect effective accelerationists we also have the effect of altruists you know kind of the lefty types sam bankman freed for yeah, example mm-hmm. sam bankman freed and then the board of open ai both take a huge nosedive this year so interesting yeah. development that definitely lead in the right direction and just in general that ideology at large it's not even just that but and i think it extends beyond tech just like dei stuff all of these like <laughs> egalitarian movements that have existed in like corporate environments and academia all of that is just seems to be crumbling down over the last few months and that's a very interesting thing to watch yeah um one point of that is the uh, the president of harvard claudine gay just stepped down like yesterday yeah. right mm-hmm. which after a pretty lengthy plagiarism scandal that followed all of the stuff that we covered regarding uh you know the the way that the ivy leagues handled all the censorship and versus uh free speech conversation with israel palestine so then the plagiarism was detected using ai, AI. yeah that's right so, that's right greater accountability to the elites is the interesting function of ai potentially quite true quite true well, guys, my highlight of the year was this podcast. Aww. Yeah, I know. So warm and fuzzy. <laughs> no, really. I mean, uh, you know, having set out in January to do an episode a week uh, and to have held up to that and to have made it to a new year with maybe a couple of technical glitches along the way <laughs> and uh, maybe making up some ground doing two episodes a week here and there. Uh, you know, we pulled off 52 episodes in a year which I think is a great accomplishment and I'm very proud of the work that we've put in and I look forward to another year with you guys doing this and and of course we couldn't do it without you listening and watching so thank you we really appreciate it i uh, hope you continue to do so and again you know join the discord if you want to have a say in the things that we cover because uh we, you know we, we like to provide value for you we want to know what you guys are talking about and thinking about so uh, join the conversation with us. And we are deeply thinking about more more and more ways of how to provide value and kind of give to the people that are following us too. And That's right. We got some things in the works right now. Soon. 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 <laughs> Soon. All right. To our next category, most important cultural shift in 2023. David, what was your most important cultural Richmond, shift? Richmond, North of Richmond. It was, it was specifically that song and the way that the intellectual elite of the right reacted to it. Uh in sympathy or not in sympathy the way that a lot of people were like well actually you know sort of the the experience of everyday people the way they're talking about and thinking about it and then to have a populist song 
that told the story of how people are regular people are suffering, but not from like a Bruce Springsteen, like, yeah, just vote for the union Democrat and that'll fix everything kind of point of view. But like that says, no, no, no. The problem is the government. It was a very interesting moment, something that I haven't seen you know, ever. And yeah. it was very much, and it was a very much, it also had, it happened because of social media. It went viral on TikTok. It went viral on Instagram reels, places like that, that that's where I got to, you know, and on uh, Twitter. And that's how it got to such prominence. It wasn't through a record label. It wasn't even through things like SoundCloud. It was, you know, social media that brought it to a forefront. Yeah. And then it really was a great moment of a guy who was working hard in obscurity, um, trying to bring his talent to life in an authentic way that told real stories about people. And then, you know, was recognized for that effort. And that's just a beautiful American thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, And one of my favorite moments around it was when it was like right after the song came out, there was a Republican primary debate and they used it at the intro. And then he tweeted out or something like, Hey guys, like don't use that song. It's about you. Like you're the Richmond North of Richmond, like get it together. Oh, that was funny. I forgot about that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a, a rich irony there. Uh, Kyle, what was your most important cultural shift? The whole Elon Musk saga, uh, as a whole, like we already talked about the Twitter files and how much it kind of affected, uh, people just realizing like how psyoped they really are, um, and have been for so long, but Elon Musk buying X Twitter now known as X, um, is completely changing the media landscape. Like all of the major ways that people get news, entertainment. Um, I I just saw uh, Elon was talking about how they're at the highest uh, engagement that they've ever been, like as of two days ago. Yeah. Um, And I, I think a lot of those big stories that we said were like the highlights of the year, a lot of that came because of X. Like in a lot of ways, it, it formulated the environment for kind of where the Overton window can exist on all of these, all of these major stories. Um, like it's setting the battlefield for like ideological debate in ways that people didn't even, I don't even think realized could be set. So the whole X dynamic, I'm excited to see it continue. And also just watching the, uh, the elite reaction to it too. Like all the lawfare that's existing, all of the uh, calls for anti-Semitism from the anti-defamation league against Elon Musk. Like that whole battleground is just, has been fascinating and it's been incredible to kind of watch. Yeah. It's really interesting how Elon has transformed from sort of this, this figure that was very liked by the left because of what he was doing for green energy and, and electric cars and all this stuff into him becoming this villain because he has supported free speech absolutism to some extent. And he's such an, he's such an interesting figure too, because like there's a lot of ideas that he's promulgating as well that I can't believe are now like the Overton window has shifted things like, uh, things like the idea of overpopulation being a scam. Like he's probably one of the most vocal people on saying like, no, we need more population, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's one of those people. And also being the environmental guy, he's also has a very, a much more nuanced opinion of like, uh, that's almost Alex Epstein type of opinion where it's like, no, we can't just get rid of fossil fuels right now. People will starve. Right. Like like that he's, he's become such an important figure on the cultural front. And that, uh, um, that eventually leads to the political front. And I think where the future lies, totally. He's he's playing a major role in that hundred percent. And we did see that, you know, people starving. We saw Sri Lanka, you know, massive riots when they tried to get rid of 
uh, fossil fuels there because people literally couldn't cook food. You know, we've seen things around, uh, you know, the banning of nitrogen fertilizers in the Netherlands and, and now most recently in France, I believe. Like, there are these movements that are happening. People are pushing back against. Elon is certainly and others are certainly like kind of leading that charge which has been a real a real good thing i think for humanity and also just things like how simple of a feature community notes is yeah is so and how effective it is like it gets it right most of the time yeah really um just stuff like that like it, it, it does seem like twitter is closer to the truth than any of the social media platforms like i, I like the way that elon phrases that of like i just want to be the closest to the truth yes. like we, we can't get it 100 percent. it's not going to be right ever, all the time but at least we can get closer and for sure. aim for it right we're in a bottom-up process rather than top down right mm-hmm. rather than putting a board in charge of truth we're going to let everybody people vote yeah. on it and try to contribute to it oh and another element too the the ad stuff like all the all the adpocalypse and i think this goes into something that we were saying earlier is like how the dei movement has failed like watching the the combat between elon and bob Iger at disney the, uh, i believe you have a thing cute on the thing on the, the soundboard about that right Cueing that up go f- yourself yeah <laughs> a like, moment like that dynamic as well is just yeah. an incredible moment totally I, I think it just shows the culture the culture war is has completely flipped totally totally and I think that that is also indicated by my most important cultural shift in 23, which was Tucker leaving Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, huge moment for the highest rated cable news broadcaster to effectively be fired from his job and then go to the internet and become 10 times bigger. What a sea change and, and what indication that independent media, you know, non-legacy media has, has taken the ball from the incumbents in a really meaningful way. And I mean, it's just, it's so heartening to me, honestly, because it's like, you know, it gives a little bit more validity to, to, to something like this, right? Where there's actually maybe a little bit additional value granted to guys like us who are, you know, working from the bottom up to try to make this happen. If someone like Tucker can make it happen and can build a network and all that stuff, it gives me a lot of hope that, that more independent voices can rise out of that too. Yeah. yeah, And then it shows like the amount of people online willing to go to there for their source of news. Um, you know, obviously he's moving from uh, a traditional media to the, you know, the new media and bringing a lot of people with him. Yeah. And that's the other important part of that. I think it's really oh, yeah. interesting, Greg, because those gatekeepers continue to crumble. Um, looking at it from a decade by decade basis from where we're at in 2001 till today of just how controlled is your media? You know, they've tried to put in the Twitter files. They tried to put in Project Mockingbird of our era and it crumbled apart because one billionaire bought a company <laughs> and decided to let you know journalists have access to the slack messages so the the ability for certain people who are you know the gatekeepers to control things are reduced and tucker leaving and then having such a great platform on x and then eventually starting his own network i think is a uh indicator of that a further indicator of that watershed moment maybe yeah i, I love how much he's trolling the other uh the other like the mainstream media outlets like they're putting ads like on trucks and on billboards like right in front of their like their headquarters and it's just it's, it's hilarious <laughs> to watch like i just saw one yesterday and i posted it in, the, in our discord that was like uh it says your great replacement and that's tucker <laughs> just, <laughs> with his shit eating grin on his face yeah. that's pretty pretty like, I, I don't know if that's coming from like his network or it's just somebody buying a billboard and putting it up like it, it could be either I, I i don't really know it's just it's hilarious it's all so i know true. is that it's funny it's so it's funny. hilarious so funny. it's hilarious and i love how much how much more adventurous he's gotten and and with bringing so many people from fox with him hmm. i think the breadth of of stories and that he's able to convey to that audience, which is probably traditionally a little bit older audience, right? Like my parents' generation, um, 
that's a big thing. You know, he's, he's actively shifting the Overton window, I think to a, a class of issues and, you know, like, like talking about Julian Assange, for example, yeah. to people who maybe previously didn't know who Julian Assange was like that to me is, is huge. Um, but not to dig too far into that. He's also legitimizing other like creators as well, because he's been going on a podcast tour and he's, and like some people I'm just kind of surprised he's gone, he's gone on. Yeah. Whereas like that person's on his radar. Um, but that's also been interesting as well to yeah. see and just kind of see him collaborate with the media like landscape in such a way of the, the podcast media landscape. It's just, it's been entertaining. It's very watch. entertaining. And I'm sure the executives at Zen are really excited for his <laughs> enthusiastic <laughs> endorsement of their product. <laughs> yeah. That's like been like the best advertising campaign for them ever is just Tucker uh, getting fired from Fox news. Seriously. <laughs> Cause he just promotes Zen everywhere. You just can't ask for anything better than that. All right. Most important political shift in 23. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I got a little bit of the, the, the cough here. <laughs> you got the black lung. I got the black lung. Uh, Kyle, what was your most important political shift in 2023? Um, I, I have in our notes, hashtag team Vivek, cause we, we enjoy memeing about that on the podcast, but, um, I actually think it extends beyond that. Uh, I think we're watching the rise of a new ways of doing politics. I don't think we're quite there yet, but just that internet style candidate. Um, Vivek has really figured out how to capture the mind of the youth and how to use the internet effectively to really boost his own profile. Um, watching him kind of doing the TikTok thing and, and getting on with like YouTube influencers has been interesting to watch. And I think it also shows a dynamic of where the future of the right is. Um, I don't think the right's like necessarily ready for him right now, but he's going to be around. It's sort of like Van Jones said, he's got 50 years to spew his like poison, right? I'm shaking. And I'm shaking. <laughs> uh, like it shows the future of the right and where culturally speaking, the right is moving towards, I think. Um, but also adding to that, I think uh, uh, the RFK stuff is very interesting as well on the left showing the, the division on there. Like he is very much the Vivek of the left. It seems like, and uh, him going independent is another big thing. Like who knows how much, how many votes uh, somebody like uh, RFK ends up polling on this. Like he, he has the highest favorability ratings out of any candidate right now. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's sort of a but. But primary. the problem is he's running as an independent. You know, he, he's not no longer running as a Democrat, so he's not going to get the party votes that he would. But it'll be interesting to watch, like how kind of Ross Perot like he might be in this election as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <I was> just <laughs> you just look you. at me like I was supposed to talk about that. But you I covered thought, it so well. No, I, I thought, thought you had some data. I think I think his coverage of crypto, uh, the way he was able to articulate what I think is you know the big issues of our time when it comes to most important shifts of America first, kind of like how Israel Hamas has kind of turned that kind of like you're saying, kind of turned that against itself and kind of exposed an inner contradiction uh, within America first. But Vivek was obviously the one who came out of that, both with the most amount of criticism, but a most amount of like clarity of like, this is how, if you believe this, this is how you talk about Israel Hamas. And that that shows a thought leadership to me that was way beyond any other candidate yeah. that I've seen for a very long time. And and, and I know we talk, compare them all the time, and it's not a very fair comparison, a lot of levels, but it reminded me of Ron Paul on this. Dude, totally. There was so much certainty and clarity about his vision 
that you couldn't help but kind of be brought along by it. For sure. Um, he's, and so, he's got like the charisma and the intellect. Yeah. And normally you have a candidate that has like one or the other and he's <laughs> right. got both of those, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, one of our things is, you know, one of our mental models that we return to all the time is like you have to be either hot cute or cool <laughs> and he's kind of like on the cool factor right like he he kind of he's able to wait aren't hot and cute the same thing no they're not no no no. oh hot is like tiktok oh, okay cute is like pudgy penguins oh all right fair yeah yeah they're like or mm, cute you're you twerking know. or you're a plush toy yeah or, yeah <laughs> right or or you're andrew tate okay right? like you're wearing sunglasses inside or you know whatever <laughs> or you're going to boxing matches and you're dabbing up the the guy who knocked the guy out right that kind of like proximity to cool is, yeah. is another kind of yeah. thing that Vivek's bringing and then additionally like incredibly smart and able to articulate a wide range of issues he got hit by reason this week for a lot of his stuff i don't know oh, if you guys did. saw that um classic reason yeah right. that's all i that's all i gotta say some of the criticisms were good some of them are in bad faith do, do, yeah i mean it doesn't even really matter it's the way that the framing of the article is set yeah. is is enough yeah right? do you think that reason is concerned that vivek is courting a lot of libertarians with a lot of these ron paul-esque moments no, i my, think reason is much more in bed with uh like the dc culture mm, and the vivek beltway is, libertarians vivek is very not part of not part of that culture he's not courting that culture sure so there's just a cultural class that exists even beyond politics Mm -hmm. you know i think of it kind of like that there's matt welch is the author um one of the things i've tried to do because i keep hearing this and i keep on like thinking like okay how do i better refine our mental model around this to like make sure that we're treating them fairly is that uh reasons a platform of which lots of different people speak some people agree with kyle's point of view some people not right of insider outsider matt welch is he an insider? Yeah. Maybe he's been a, he's been a staple at that organization for a very long time. Um, is he a defender of the status quo in DC? I don't think so. Um, but I do think that there's like a conventionality of thought that he is very skeptical of claims of conspiracy. Um, because I, I think for probably for good reason, because lots of conspiracies turn out to be false. Um, but I don't think that the January 6th is really the hill to die on for conspiracy uh, to disprove uh, simply because there's so much conflicting information, such a complicated issue, right? So, uh, and so, so many different things happen in one day. Uh, and so w- was the FBI uh, had hundreds or dozens of agents there? Well, we're no longer debating if they had agents there. Right. How we're many debating were, how many. Yeah. Right. What was their mission? Provocateuring or not? If you ask the FBI... Was your mission to provoke or provocate a more violent outcome or was your mission to curb it? What are they going to tell you? Regardless of what their actual mission was, they're going to tell you it, it was there not to provoke. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and, come on. And, and here's, here's also the thing is like, because like this is where I've been since 2021 when, when Jan 6 happened is I'm actually pretty sure that tweeting about Jan 6 is what got me my Twitter account taken away from me Mm. was exactly talking about how many provocateurs were in there because i remember watching videos of like people in black vans coming out and going and instilling like animosity and those existed on the internet at one point and i remember just kind of i I was like kind of like troll tweeting about it in my normal way of of tweeting but like that is that is an area and then i would listen to a lot of the more beltway libertarian types being like that's crazy that's crazy like you, you that is insane to even think about right and it's like you're you guys are supposed to be the ones kind of like 
very skeptical of government power and you're just like they wouldn't do this like yes no historical like yeah it's yeah that's that's usually my gripe is that they it's where their impulses tend to be in the moments that matter yeah that's that's where i have gripes with kind of the beltway libertarian yeah, types. for sure and it is a, it is like it could be framed as a pursuit of truth or it could be framed as like you're just not you're not thinking coherently enough you know across like the strategy of what's going on right now what we don't know and you're kind of biasing towards a conventionality that's actually undermining your case yeah so my other big important uh political shift here is free speech absolutism and the death of it right the the right was staked all of its claim on the first amendment the first amendment the first amendment and then israel hamas happened and then the same sort of language is being brought around again to say uh people feel unsafe so therefore we should you know, cut, crack down on speech on college campuses. It's a very leftist kind of framing of this sort of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. If someone is actually unsafe, if there's actually a Jewish student someplace who is actually physically unsafe, yes, you should curb any speech that's required to get them speech. It wouldn't be free speech if it's actually violent, but any speech that would therefore like put them in bodily harm, right? Someone's out there saying, we're going to go burn down the synagogues. You got to stop that person before they commit a crime. Um, but that's not happening from what I can tell from what I could tell. And I've, I'm really open to information to change my mind here. But from what I could tell, this is a lot of freak out about just people saying things that people are interpreting in the interpretive layer of communication to be violent, provocative sort of speech, but it's actually political speech. Um, and so even though it kind of resulted in, you know, a Harvard professor getting a lot of attention who then wound up being, you know, let go because of, um, plagiarism that the you know the whole question begging of like what what, how are we going to apply dei in this case i think has helped tear apart dei which is a good thing but the other side of it it's kind of crumbled a lot i think of the fundamental consistency on the right for the commit for for commitment for free speech yeah i think it is illustrative of the claim that both democrats and republicans uh, who who tend to be somewhat authoritarian in nature will use that authoritarian nature that they do have in the ways that they want to apply it to you if they're not ideologically consistent committed to an idea of individualism mm-hmm. or free speech in that way and so i think the the consistent view is that so long as there's no violence being perpetrated or no direct threats being made everyone should be allowed to speak their minds on these issues right but we have people on the right saying we need to ban certain phrases because right. it's insensitive and and, yeah. and worth mentioning too vivek's been pretty good on this yes like, yeah, like, it, just everybody else has not been yeah. Yeah. right And then what's yours, Joe? What's your big development? Well, my major political shift for 2023 has to be the election of Javier Millet in Argentina, the first libertarian president ever elected in the world. Huge moment for libertarians who are not used to winning much of anything at all. (laughs) Um, I think it's indicative, really, of hopefully a global shift towards freedom, individualism, populism, those things that sort of push away this globalist tendency that we've experienced over the last, well, in, in our, you know, lifetimes certainly, and, and also beyond. Um, it seems like he's already getting a lot of really good work done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see where he is able to go in 2024. 
uh, it really will be a proving ground. I think, you know, there's obviously already pushback to some things that he's doing. Socialists are staging uh, protests and whatnot. Uh, n- n- not just socialists, bankers. And bankers. Like, like <laughs> instead, of, instead of like the Occupy Wall Street movement, it's like bankers outside protesting in front of the central bank there. Like, yeah. It's hilarious to see it. You kind of you kind of do love to see it. It's it's a pretty clown world moment. Yeah. yeah. We are the 0.001%. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take away our power. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also just... It's been fascinating to watch, man. I I wish that he he spoke like English consistently because there'd be just so many good clips that would be great to react to on the, the tra- podcast. <laughs> it's like some like he's just going around like like th- there there was a thing I think you sent it yeah, to both of us yeah, where yeah. there's a guy like talking about socialism and Mila is just like in the background like what did you say what's this bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that was a joke. Like it was I, obviously I, I, done I'm for the camera. Sure it was like an act, but yeah. it was so, so hilarious. And I just wish that our discourse was as what is the word for that? Irreverent. Yeah, it is just so like he is just calling people names and it's just absolutely hilarious the yes. whole way through. Yes, the authenticity there. He, he is who he is no, and he lets, no, it, he no, lets in, it all fly. Instead, we're like, no, we have to ban Trump because he says mean things. Right? Yeah, exactly. like, like it's it's a very it's very much like the the Chad dog meme versus the yeah, <laughs> yeah. versus like the virgin dog meme where it's like <laughs> like Millet is just like out here just like cussing out lit like like socialists and then here we're just like, oh no, he's saying mean tweets. <laughs> yeah yeah no i love it i love it uh okay so let's uh let's pivot to the biggest something burger that turned out to be a nothing burger kyle let's start with you what was yours i mean we already kind of talked about this a little bit but uh my biggest thing was just because it happened so recently is we did we just spent like 30 minutes on this podcast talking about the sam altman leaving open ai and like two hours after we were done recording, he's just like, nope, he's back at open AI. But, <laughs> but I, 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 it wasn't necessarily an entirely a nothing burger. Like the, there was a lot of interesting things that came out of it. And I think it showed a lot of people and we were able to cover, cover this on the podcast, um, showcasing the factions at play here and the ideological divide of like the effective altruist versus the effective accelerationist and kind of everything in between and watching where people lie on um, the advancement of AI versus like pausing it and just like where people are uh, uh, kind of like in their egalitarian views of the whole thing too. And kind of where the DEI stuff creeps in all that, like we got to cover that. So that was interesting to see, but at at the end of the day, Sam Altman's just back at open AI. (laughs) Well, that's how that goes sometimes. (laughs) David, what was yours? The DeSantis campaign. And like like we said, when we watched him smile, it was just, it's, it's a real bear cat, right? It's a, it's not a, it's not a clear good thing or bad thing in my mind. Uh, because I think Ron DeSantis is not the worst rep- kind of Republican, and he's definitely courted, I think, a lot of views that I appreciate. Uh, and people say he was an excellent governor. So it's kind of kind of sad um, that he wasn't able to pick up more trend. I would rather see him than Nikki Haley. Oh, yeah. Almost oh, universally. Yeah. No, like, like Ron DeSantis uh, is a guy like, I'd be happy to have him as my governor. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Not right? bad. Like, um, not pumped on his foreign policy either, but it's better than Haley's. I'd rather someone who's willing to at least be like, well, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do here versus like, let's bomb Iran tomorrow. You know, like, <laughs> you know, so um, <laughs> the other one was return to mask. There was a point there uh, kind of oh, yeah. late fall when we were like, oh, my God, they're bringing masks back. And it was like a whole thing. And then maybe it didn't happen because the pushback, but maybe it was never going to happen. We actually just freaked out about nothing. I'm not sure. It's it's really hard to say. Yeah. yeah, In hindsight, I will say I've seen an uptick, uh, not a huge one, but 
It is there. Well, I mean, people are coughing. It's, it's changed the culture on the left, for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think we're ever going... Well, it's going to be a long time before the left really lets that go. But, you know, sure it, it doesn't but the Overton the, window there is shifting on the left so much where I'm seeing uh, like lefty commentators and stuff that are being more critical of like Pfizer and they're kind of looking back at the vaccine period and being like, okay, maybe the vaccines weren't as effective as they were supposed you know, like all these things. I would... But I would never say that on this podcast. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> uh, uh, we love pharmaceutical companies. We've already ticked off the Church of Satan and they ruined an episode. <laughs> we don't need to get space aids or something like that for ticking off Pfizer, you know? But I would recommend you listen to the CDC's <laughs> advice um, or else youtube might do something to your channel yeah <laughs> uh, listen to the experts kids and trust the science and it is just so crazy that bill gates funds the ngos that tell them all the information and that he has all this influence over bill gates, it's crazy bill gates <laughs> like, is <clears throat> a great great patriot sack of shit he's, okay. a, he's, a, uh, he's just a simple American. farmer <laughs> uh, i need a bleep i just need a bleep on here so, so I can joe just... show me them biologics <laughs> <laughs> okay okay we we need to not go down the rabbit hole on this because <laughs> we got some more stuff to get to. And I know this is going to create an argument because it always does. My big nothing burger for the year. <laughs> Wait for it, guys. David is David is winding up. My biggest nothing burger for the year was alien disclosure. We didn't get bodies. We didn't get craft. To me, I need the physical evidence. We always talk about, we always talk about means, motive, and material evidence mm-hmm. when we're talking about how we can evaluate whether or not something is is factual we've had a lot of progress i will grant to just head you off at the past because i know you're just <laughs> chomping at the bit episode, to destroy so you know me. what i'm gonna say <laughs> i know exactly where he's trying to go we've had a lot of progress and i will yeah. grant that yeah but we didn't get what i feel like i need to really conclusively or even substantially believe that disclosure is real and that's biological components you know bodies or or craft right whether they be, you know, fragments or whole or whatever, to me, the co- the the coincidental timing of release of of certain you know disclosure information, certain interviews, certain hearings, has always coincided to me somewhat suspicious, suspiciously with other important things that are happening in the news cycle. I know sometimes they're tied together, but how how did I do disarming all your arguments? Ah, Dave? You, you tried. You tried. It was nice. <laughs> Right. Was, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. Have it. Let I'm have like, it. like, if your cute. standard is like, <laughs> if your standard is, I need to either believe in aliens or not, and this hasn't made me believe, then I'm, yeah, sure, okay. I'm I think you. we've made progress. Yeah, towards I it. mean, I don't technically, I wouldn't say that I believe in aliens, right? In in the sense of like, I believe I have to exert my will upon myself to make myself think a certain way about yeah. them. I I kind of think of it like, this is an interesting thing that's happening. A lot of the arguments around it are dogmatically narrow rather than um, what I would articulate as a tolerance and openness mind frame of abundance of thinking saying, hey, this can be many things. uh, And one of the most interesting things we don't know. Okay. And that this year was a huge year for revelation of that um, because, because of things that we do know, meaning because of acts that changed the laws that created the incentives that allowed for the whistleblower protections to make these sorts of things happen this year. True. It could also all happen because Joe Biden's has a terrible economy. He's trying to distract us from it. Could be. That said, 
if so, it's failed miserably <laughs> because totally he has the lowest numbers everywhere and, and, and of any president at this point in, in the presidency. And he know and, and everyone knows it. Right. True. And no one's distracted by it. And, it, and none of these things have actually come at an attention cost. Adam slash Joe, uh, because <laughs> and I know that it's 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 so facto axiomatically uh, come at an attention cost because it's a zero sum game. But that doesn't suggest that there isn't... It could be happening because two things happen in society at the sure. same time. Sure, sure. I, well, it, it also... It seems to me, and just I feel like history proves this out, the president really has no real sway over alien disclosure. Like, I, I think presidents have been trying to get at the whole alien disclosure thing in the past, and they've failed. Like, Bill Clinton was really big on this. Reagan was pretty big on this, right? Um, and like, a lot of senators have tried. And so we're, what we're seeing, maybe a potential move through the David Grush stuff towards more transparency. What I would actually say is probably my biggest takeaway, it's, it's similar to, um, I, I just last night actually listened to uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with Breaking Points, with Cigar from Breaking Points, and kind of in the back five minutes of it, they, uh, they were talking about the alien stuff, and Tucker said some stuff that I was like, oh yeah, that's, that, I think that's where I'm at, is that there's something here, we don't quite know what it is, think there's potentially some dark forces at play here um but and we need to unveil more but worried that some of the stuff that we're going to unveil could be very troubling troubling yeah Um, well i think particularly with like a lot of the agencies behind this and some of the individual actors not not it's not necessarily like the cia as a whole is trying it's like individual like subsectors of agencies Mm -hmm. that are kind of like almost like rogue agents within the government. Right. That, that seems to be much more where I'm interested in. I completely agree with that. And I think your point about prior presidents having tried to bring this stuff to light and, and failed indicates that there are forces that are deeper entrenched and ostensibly more powerful at continuing to conceal the truth here than the president, which is supposed to be, you know, the leader of the free world, one of the most powerful people in the world. Right. And so to me, uh, to your point, David, about, being tolerant of, you know, and open to, you know, all of these ideas kind of percolating and coming forward and progress being made, I would invoke the tolerance paradox and say that if we're tolerant of, of this really piecemeal, this very uh, incremental movement towards something, when we know that there's something really great underneath the surface, we open ourselves up to basically diluting real progress. So we, we have to be intolerant in a sense to this, this mediocrity of like of stepwise movement towards disclosure. Sure. And we need to be more uh, adamant that we get the deep disclosure that we know there's something riding underneath the surface. So how do we dig to that level and get that out? That's what I want. There were big claims made about what disclosure could be this year and we did not get that. So that's why it's nothing. Burger for me. <laughs> if, if I were to guess too, I, I would actually suspect a lot of this stuff is almost transnational and it's almost outside of government purview of what senators and things can actually get through these hearings. Yeah. Um, well, other than that, we know that they are keeping the house yeah. uh, UAP investigatory committee out of executive branch agencies, right? Which is an exposure of the deep state, which yes. is a, you know, like a very good thing. Um, and, and I actually agree with you, Joe. I think I think we should have a high standard uh, for what we believe in and what we're going to say is truth, right? But we also need to appreciate. I think the only thing, the only thing my own criticism is the lack of appreciation for how universally different this year was from every other year before that. For sure, when it comes to that, and so it's like it's. I, I would only say it's not a nothing burger in the sense that we've made tremendous progress in convincing the public that there's something going on here 
that that the government's keeping from them and lying to them about. Yeah. Specifically putting out false information. True. For decades that we now know was false. Yep. Right? So if that's true and if these things are are available, it would be 2023 when we when looking back would have said this is when we began to discover the truth. Sure. And, and I just, and I, I want to appreciate that moment rather yeah. than just be like, that's not something worth appreciating just because we have a higher standard for our evidence claim. I want more. I want it all. Well, me too. Yeah, everyone does. <laughs> yeah. They, I don't think there's a person in this space that doesn't want to actually know what's going on. Yeah, true, true, true. All right. Next thing, the hottest take offered on the human reaction podcast. Mine's first. Kyle, let's start with yours. This is the best one. Wait, wait. Are we starting with mine? Or no, we we're gonna, you've been starting with him every time. It's my turn, Joe. I was going to say we're going to save the best for last because oh, yours is the fine. best. Mine is the best every time. Uh, okay, uh. yeah. Yeah, mine's actually probably the, the most boring, to be honest. It was Dave. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> it was Dave. Wow. Oh, Ouch. No, I, I just, I thought it was a funny uh, way of articulating a, uh, a foreign policy point where Dave made the claim that Joe Biden is basically like a pirate lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where a lot of the foreign policy decisions are us just conducting piracy in the Middle East. Um, and you would be able to explain it a little bit better than me because you were the one that like discovered what was going on here. But yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was specifically oil shipments from Iran and that, that we've been in this tit for tat with Iran for a long time stealing their oil and trying to sell it on various like, different markets. Actually like raiding their ships and yeah. funding the raiding of their ships. Literally, right? forcing, literally forcing them to go to our ports to try to sell their oil. That was a wild moment. And then the fact that it just went right through the news media and no one be like, wait, we're doing piracy as an official government policy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I appreciate that you put that up there. And we put Joe Biden, Joe Biden in a pirate hat on the cover of that one. It was solid. It was was solid. And that was really good. uh, I mean, that was good, good journalistic digging on your part. I thought, I mean, because like no one's offered that take before. That was novel. Yeah, that was great. Well, I, if we, I've if we've, never seen that anywhere. Yeah, no. If we formally had like a public discourse of like, should we be pirates? Should we be taking <laughs> oil from Iran and like trying to sell them in our markets? Uh, that would be a weird moment, wouldn't it? Like, we it would, should we should have that. It'd be so self aware for American public discourse about such things. Yes, we should somehow bring that to the debate stage. <laughs> <laughs> Vivek, looking at you, big guy. <laughs> Only Vivek could bring that up in, into the debate stage. <laughs> yes. Well, we dropped the receipts on it, so hopefully someone picks it up. Yes. Okay, uh, I'm going to go next because we are saving yours for last. My favorite hottest take offered on the show was Kyle's Jordan Peterson is the Socrates of our time clip, which triggered the hell out of TikTok and has been historically this year our best performing TikTok clip of all time with something around 44,000 total views. So let's check it out. I've believed that Jordan Peterson is kind of the Socrates of our time. Um, and cause I'm seeing exactly the Socrates history of what exactly happened to Socrates in Athens is like exactly what's happened to Jordan Peterson in like literally the parallels are like uncanny right here mm-hmm. is, um, the, uh, one of the big things with Jordan Peterson right here is like, he went through this whole debacle of like every, the entire media and the entire apparatus of the media was saying that he was corrupting the youth. Right. Like he's a sophist corrupting the youth, which is exactly what they said about Socrates. And that then they then they had to put Socrates through like a reeducation and a trial before he ended up ultimately taking the hemlock, um, which everybody cheered for him. And one of the things that was going on in the background of that is like if if you've read any of like the old Greek plays is that there was legit propaganda where they would put him in at like they would put Socrates in as the supervillain and all of their stuff. And it's the same thing that Marvel did. Marvel did with Red Skull. With Red Skull. Yes. Yeah. Whoever made that clip, cut it short. 
Well, that would be YouTube's fault because they <laughs> they require your clips to be 60 seconds or less. So we, we just cut all of our clips to 60 seconds. Mm. 60 seconds. So that's all you get. But uh, that, don't forget absolutely. to follow our TikTok for some real great you yeah. know, TikToks. Yeah. Right, right. TikTok has, has done well for us, for sure. It's certainly our best performing social media platform. <laughs> Instagram, looking at you. What happened? We were doing so good. And then I think we got shadow banned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I even saw somebody in the comments was saying like, hey, I think you guys got shadow banned. Oh, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> we went from like thirty to 50,000, you know, engagements per post to like... Yeah, just 15. got <laughs> shut down all of a sudden. It's, yeah. it was, it's very strange that that happened. Yeah. Zuck yeah, does not like Yeah, us. no, the, the, the Socrates clip, and like I still stand by that, where uh, Jordan Peterson really, he, he played this very important role in that 2016-2017 era where he inspired a lot of young men, and I think we're still going to be watching the repercussions of that, the, the consequences of that. Um, and we watched the Red Skull thing happen and also just like the way the media treated him, right? We we saw him as this like outcast figure that ended up becoming the like probably the most famous person in the world at the time. Uh, and you're supposed like you were supposed to hate him. Like all the media was targeting him. They were talking about how he's like talking about like enforcement misogyny and they're talking about all these big his followers are all incels. Yeah, right. And uh and it, it just it was just interesting to watch, and that was what happened to Socrates, where they put all this propaganda against him uh, to this guy that was like, re- you know, and it, it's it's the same archetype that the, the, he's not he's not the only person that's done this. Like, I'm not saying like Jordan Peterson is Socrates. I'm saying like the the <laughs> things exactly around him. like yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. The comment said that. Um, you but, be precise in your but, speech, but it's the but it's also like the, it's also like the Jesus narrative too, right? right? Oh, where yeah, yeah. he inspires a bunch of people. He's kind of like this like roaming uh traveling thought leader and then you end up having the establishment forces of the pharisees and the sadducees being like hey mr romans we have this guy (laughs) 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 so the clip where you come out and say jordan peterson is exactly like jesus is is gonna go big next (laughs) we're gonna get that one on well, no, I, I think Jordan right. Peterson is Jesus. <laughs> well, there's a compression here. There's an archetype of like the yep. person who rises and then everybody goes like, oh, there's changing us. And so we got to suppress that. And there's like forces. It's like a white blood cells and like a static system mm. come and attack that thing and try to crumble it. Um, I think an interesting story for this year is Jordan Peterson as as a kind of a his comeback this year from 2022 is relatively quiet. 2023 started to pick back up and be more out there after the sickness. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and similar Enzo's. to Socrates taking the hemlock, Jordan Peterson took the pills. Uh-huh. And he's never been the same since. He's never been the same since. Went, went for his treatment in Russia and everything got weird after that. And then he joins the Daily Wire. But but it is it is interesting where you end up seeing a lot of these figures, like Andrew Tate's kind of taken the mantle of the Jordan Peterson phenomenon Oof. in recent years. Yikes. Um, <laughs> as, as like the number one hate figure of the yeah, conventional but, but media. Again, inspired a lot of young men mm. took all the brunt a lot corrupting of lawfare going on corrupting the youth like they i mean those are the exact like words corrupting the youth is exactly what they would layer at him and then he got hit with all these romanian sex trafficking things which seem to be not true <laughs> at this point where they go right yeah, yeah. i'm not uh, sure i'm not sure where the legal battle has wound up but i do wonder uh, to what degree yeah, well, I do think it's true that either case, what we're seeing is a response to a change in the system, right? And I don't really like the system, like in like a conspiratorial way. I just mean 
there's a staticness. There's a equilibrium that society reaches. And when you try to introduce something that disrupts, there's oftentimes a pushback. And I think in each one of these cases, we're observing some kind of similar cycle of that same archetypal story, yeah. archetypal story of rise and fall um, that, you know, if you talked about Brad Pitt and when the media was obsessed with him for a little while, and then all of a sudden he fell off, same story, right? It's just, we're just doing it on a thing that's, I think, attacking more fundamental pillars of our social order, which is like, what is the role of men? How to conceive uh, in uh, of the meaning crisis and deal with it, uh, whether it's like Andrew Tate saying, deal with it by not being broke and uh, go work out, or if it's Jordan Peterson saying, go make your bed, you know. Either one, it's just like people trying to deal with the social phenomena that the mainstream, I think, wants to ignore. Uh, yeah. And then when they try to deal with it, they get popular, and all of a sudden there's a pushback because it's not a thing we're supposed to talk about. Well, and we got a lot of positive comments on our Christmas episode talking about uh, men in society, too. And this is the same type of arc that exists here right this is now a red pill podcast yeah <laughs> we are fresh and fit now <laughs> bring in the miami hose <laughs> you yeah. get bennett on uh on uh tinder here in bozeman and oh that's already would thing. you like to be on a podcast and you're our new fill the room with this stupid bit all right what a stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> Not the one we were going for, no, but it's, it's it the closest thing oh, that I have. Man, you don't have that one yet? Come I don't. On. I, I can't find it. You got to find oh, it for right. me. I'll get it to yeah, you. Yeah, you got to find it. Yeah. All right. So um, the hottest take ever offered on the Human Reaction Podcast from our recurring guest and good friend of the show, Kat Dwyer. Here it is. Next week, the teeth of the Russian devils will gnash ever harder, and their rabid mouths will foam in uncontrollable frenzy as the world will see a favorite Kremlin propagandist know, right? pay for their crimes. And this puppet of Putin is only the first. Only Russia's the first. war criminal propagandists will all be hunted down, Whoa. and justice will be served as we in Ukraine are led on this mission by faith in God, liberty, and complete liberation. What kind of kink is that? <laughs> oh, it's so mad at us laughing at us laughing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> her little wig and her little uniform. That was so savage. What kind of kink is that? Because everyone thinks that. Like it was like it was tapping in to the nerve stem of everyone who's seen that video and saying. What am I watching right now? It's just like, seriously, and it was such a genuine reaction from Cat because she—I'm pretty sure she hadn't seen that clip yet. We had no. all seen it, and like it was just—it was just such a genuine reaction. Like, what am I watching right now? Oh man! Well, and I try to make it all serious by bringing it around to free speech and how it's being suppressed in Ukraine. But yeah, you yeah. need to let the—you need to suppress the nerd in you and let I the know. humor flourish. Let it rise. You're right. No, that was great, and Cat's uh, awesome, and we need to have her back on the show ASAP. Um, God, what a moment. Okay, so I, I noticed that some new things have been added here, and uh, we're, we're getting up there in time. I want to make sure that we have time to get to those, so I think maybe we just cruise through some of the predictions and stuff like that. Well, we got to do our resolutions. We this can do resolutions, but I'm, chill just, out, I'm not going to... Um, I'm just not going to go too deep into a lot of the prediction stuff that we levied at the beginning of the year, see so sure. how we did, right? Because um, I think, like, for example, breaking the Ukraine bubble... I was right about everything. David was right about everything. Uh, check. <laughs> Vivek is evidence of that. He he was offering a lot of the takes that we were offering on the show. So And it's really changed the Overton window on it. Yeah. It has. Yeah. And you can tell where he's getting his news, obviously. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> we love you, Vivek. Thanks for listening. <laughs> David, you thought crypto was going to have a better year. Uh, we would see the Absolutely bottom correct. of the bear market. Yep. Um, I think Kyle would say that's that's accurate. Big, even Bitcoin up 170%. I called it within a month. <laughs> yeah, bottom of the bear market was like right before this podcast started. It was early December. So, yeah. We've got an oracle in our I just midst. wish I would have spent more money on Bitcoin at that point. Yeah. But then I'd be holding on to an asset that I can't give to anybody without reporting to the government, apparently. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, that was a story that I, I just saw. Apparently, there's now a thing. If you receive more than $10,000 in a crypto asset, you have to report it to the IRS within 15 days. Along with social security numbers of who you're giving it to. Yeah, with all, this all contact, weird contact information. It's like KYC on steroids. It's like completely unenforceable, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, right? we're trying to kill it. Buy and hold anyway. So. Uh, yeah, so we also had the recession this year. Uh, Henri talked about it. Kyle talked about more bank failures. I think basically what happened was the Fed kicked the ball down the road, right? The can is now kicked. We're going to have a larger asset battle bubble problem later. Maybe it shows up in college loans as college tuition drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it has something to do or college attendance drops, or maybe it has to do with another housing crisis. Well, we'll I, mean, see. I think it's evidenced by the fact that we have just seen the national debt tick over 34 trillion as mm-hmm. of what yesterday or the day before that right and Recently. then we and then we have the you know the fed has said they're probably going to roll low, lower rates sometime next year you know so that way biodynamics can all shake out in time means um, stock market's going to start booming probably We're which see. it's already booming i mean, I mean it's I mean, already high i mean right right greater. now like I, I don't think we've seen the beginning of where it will go if interest rates drop again drop yeah it's going to be wild not financial advice here, guys. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I predicted that uh, for one, the show would still exist at the end of 2023, and we do. Congratulations! Nailed it. Good Huzzah. job, Joe. <laughs> not, not without some attempts to subvert us by the deep state destroying the audio. On if our last if two you episodes. guys could have heard the last episode we recorded, that's never going to see the light of day. Whew. It was hot. We fire. went, we went deep down the conspiracy rabbit hole. We, we had a studio audience, and they said they loved it. Yeah, no, we we had a studio audience that said it was the best show we've ever done. <laughs> And to be clear, to be clear, it was one guy and he's a sponsor of the show. So. <laughs> but, yeah. Take that for what it's worth. That's, that's why, that's why he gives us, that's why he gives us the zesty beverages. Right. Thank you, Griff. We appreciate you. Uh, no, we will redo that show. Uh, Cause we had our good friend, uh, Wilson Raska in studio to talk about all sorts of really spicy topics. So we're going to do that one again for sure. So look out for that. Um, I also predicted that more Democrats might leave the party after Tulsi Gabbard and Kirsten Sinema left the year previous. And then RFK Jr. goes and, and leaves the Democratic Party to run as an independent for president. Kind of a watershed moment there. So I'll take that. Uh, well, I'll and, take and, that and also Joe Manchin said he was going to be, but then he just ended up retiring. But I've been hearing scuttlebutt that he's going to be running for president as an independent. Interesting. I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know how true that is. I've this, been, I've been this hearing year. that. I've been yeah. I've been hearing that scuttlebutt. So who knows where that goes? Hmm. Say scuttlebutt again. Scuttlebutt. I love that word. I love that word. Joe actually word taught word. me that word like ten years ago. <laughs> Joe Manchin. Or Joe. Me. David. Dave. Yeah. Dave. Words. Yeah. I love it. Scuttlebutt. And, I just wanted and, you to say I, it again. So I've used I can, it for so long. I just wanted to sample it for the scuttlebutt. thing. Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's see here. Resolutions for 24. David, where are you at? What you want? Uh, okay. So this year, I'm, this year I'm going to get back to fight weight. I'm a little overweight uh, from the shoulder injury. Uh, I'm going to do two comps and then I'm going to get my blue belt. To be clear, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm behind on reading. I need to get my books back up. I've been, uh, been slacking. Yeah. So how many books do you normally read per year? Uh, so it's somewhere between 20 and 34. And this year was in the low 20s. So nerd okay uh no that's awesome Mostly i, I want to read books to be fair i mean yeah, i yeah. don't read a lot of you know i don't have the time for that but that's true yeah. that's fair kyle 
I want to boost up my social media presence. I used to be very active on social media for various reasons, and I used to have several Twitter accounts before they all got banned, and I lost them all. And I want to kind of pull myself out of being in this very niche area that I'm at right now. If you follow me on Twitter, you just see me LARPing as a penguin and talking about crypto. Um, But just kind of starting to boost my own social media presence for the sake of this podcast, because we are all in the media business and we all need to do that. Right. Quite true. Um, Quite true. So, yeah, I'm going to be kind of working on trying to figure out how to play the the algorithmic game and get that follower number up and boost those numbers. Those are rookie numbers. You got to get those numbers up. Well, if you're listening to this or watching, uh, go follow Kyle everywhere. His Twitter handle is in the description of the video or at in the show Captain notes. Quigley. At Captain Quigley. But also Quigley. follow all of you guys as well for everything. Because again, in order for this podcast to grow, we all, we all need to get big. We all need right? to grow. <laughs> yeah. And we want you to grow too. So send us your, you know what? Comment your Twitter handle in the comments of this of this uh, video and we'll follow you back follow for follow that's right <laughs> follow friday baby let's go all right uh, my your resolution my resolution yeah. is to gain 10 pounds of muscle and i'm working pounds. on it nice working on it thanks to my my good buddy anthony suzio for for putting me on the jim wendler program hmm. for strength and you know we'll work in some hypertrophy too Cool. Should be fun. Yeah, I kind of feel we're talking about it again, but I was surprised by what you said this last time. So, really? Yeah. Well, and this is this is what we're going to do to get the program sexy, right? Because we can't. Right. We're not. We're not. We're not cute, right? Sorry, well, guys. Kyle's, Kyle's pretty cute. He larps as a penguin. That's <laughs> default cute. You see that penguin profile? Uh, <laughs> uh, we're uh, are we cool? Eh, we're kind of nerdy, uh, but we could be hot, right? You, you, super you, hot. You gain some weight. Kyle and I lose some weight, and we're there, right? Done deal. <laughs> Done deal. We're never going to be hot. Hey. Not with that attitude. We, no. we can take cool. We can yeah, take cool. We can I, take think. Cool, I think maybe. we can get that. Yeah. Okay. As we continue developing this, we can take it. Yeah. yeah. Libertarianism is becoming cool. I mean, look at Javier Malay. He's up on stage, like making out with pop singers or whatever. That's you guys his see wife, him? but yeah. Well, still, <laughs> but he, he is, she's also a pop singer. But, but the economist also taught me that he is a sex guru. So. Yeah, true. So one of us got to be, never mind. Uh, so the, but we, we could be cute. Just sorry. One of us is a sex guru. He's a volunteer. <laughs> we, we, we could be He's cute. tribute. He's up here just like. <laughs> I, I, I am saying we could be cute. Just one of us has to transition. Yeah, oh, that's true. And, well, I'm sorry. So do we draw straws for that? What do we do here? I'm pretty confident. Okay, so there is there are female thirst traps, but they're rare, right? I mean, you know, for the most part, hot on the internet means being female. Oh, I see. Yeah, you yeah. Know, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Thirst traps for yeah. women. Therefore, yeah. we got to be the the new fresh and fit white guy, fresh and fit, fresh fit white. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll workshop it, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or we just get a, fu- a, a fourth chair. Yeah. Fourth chair. <laughs> All right, so that's the resolutions. What's our predictions? So I have a couple of predictions I've been thinking about because I, I, um, one, I think there's going to be a crisis in college enrollment this 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 year. Yeah. I think there's going to be something with that because I do. I have seen uh, some stories about uh, enrollment dropping, specifically my, around men, uh, and I think that has implications on the gender wars. I think that's going to be even yep. worse uh, this next year. Um, I think we've hit peak woke. And so we're going to go into hopefully what I kind of see this year or maybe the next year, you know, it's going to get political. Right. But I think there's going to be more pushback from like the based crowd. Um, and then lastly, I think the base crowd is going to cannibalize itself. Mm. Uh, this year. Um, I think calendar gate is actually a great example of what we're going to see this year 
as what it means to be based is going to be fought over by people who want it to mean social conservatism versus people who want it who want it to mean a broader, more 1990s-esque kind of like you're willing to speak truth to power, you're willing to like talk about the controversial stuff um, versus based meaning uh, get married young, have lots of kids. That's your act of rebellion. Live on a homestead, vision. drink raw milk. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. The, the, tra- the trad conservatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah the trad. Yeah, there's going to be a division. There's there. like there's, those trads. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I didn't yeah. see that coming, but I think that that's prescient because we saw this happen within the woke movement, right? Where there was this jockeying for what woke is, or you have to be more woke than X or whatever. And so all of a sudden, like the progressives kind of started like eating their own in terms of who was more or less woke. And so I could definitely see that occurring on the other side and, and around calendar gate, just to clarify for folks that aren't obsessed with Twitter and stuff. Uh, there was this uh, conservative calendar with lots of, you know, attractive conservative women and in, in varying, you know, interesting scenes in the kitchen or, or, you know, whatever, drinking beer or whatever. And it got a lot of hate as being this demonic thing by the, the Christian conservative component of, that movement mm-hmm. um and so yeah i think that's definitely an indicator of that. well and th- that's actually where a lot of this like hot cool cute branding stuff comes from is like you kind of you need those types of elements in your movement because one of the things that i think we're all in agreement that we're seeing right now is there there's a shift on it used to be very cool to be on the left like it's kind of like uh you're on the right gross but like everybody that's cool is on the left and that is completely sh- starting to flip right now yeah like you you posted that green day video right where they're like dogging on maga and it doesn't seem yeah, cool. the, it doesn't pun- seem the punk rockers are just like the corporate stooges now it, it seems like, like msnbc you're like ah. you know it just and i'm not talking about my intellectual thoughts about it what i'm talking about is just the way it feels yeah. just the way it orientates towards the way you um think about it when it happens right for, which for, is for people that don't know yeah just uh, over new year's green day did a, a revision to their song live where in, in the american idiot song was like don't want to be an american idiot it's the normal lyric and they said don't want to be a maga republican or something i'm, I'm not a right. part of the maga agenda. i'm not a part of the maga agenda right yeah. and it was just kind of like cringe well yeah. because when that song the reason why it's so cringy from a cultural analysis point of view is it was written in response to bush when the bush administration was so powerful like they were invading countries and like the press was all going yay and it was such an obvious like megalith um that it felt rebellious then but now when it talks about it it doesn't feel rebellious because you have well well, because like the maga movements not the establishment yeah yeah right you're not and punk rock is supposed to be like the anti-establishment music right and all the punk rockers from two decades ago when punk rock was a thing are still trying to do punk rock but like Harsh. Yeah. Yeah, but but meanwhile <laughs> they've they've made their tens or hundreds of millions of dollars and like Billy Joe Armstrong, lead singer Green Day, like They're in the cocktail party renounced his citizenship, the US moved to England, like so who gives a fuck what he thinks? I don't <laughs> really care, honestly. And frankly, my first concert was Green Day, so really? they've fallen pretty far in my eyes, you know? Mm. Well, and th- that's also another thing, because uh the college enrollment thing is also I saw a survey done, um, a survey done among like businesses and big corporations. And they're suspecting that in 2024, their non-college educated uh, employee hires is, is going to be up like 50% or something. Wow. Um, so it really shows, I think where the market is mm-hmm. when it comes to college degrees and how oversaturated college degrees are and how people are kind of like, yeah, not really that useful depending on the, you know, which uh, field you're in and, it seems to be most fields. <laughs> yeah. All right. Get certified. Don't get a degree. That seems like to be the advice for anyone who's entering college now. Yeah. I would suspect over the next 
decade or so that we start to see a major revision on the idea of certification, culturally speaking, um, and what that actually means, uh, especially because it's just as more and more generate, like the, the new generation is rising. They're the internet generation. We're just going to see like internet alternatives to college education. Uh, that's probably going to be more efficient and more effective. Right. Well, I mean, I think the, the interesting thing, and, and I saw a similar article to you, Kyle, um, I pulled up a similar one here, no college degree, no problem, or companies are eliminating requirements to attract the workers they need. Um, especially in tech, you know, they've basically been deprecating the importance of a degree as a signal for competence, right? Because previously I think that's what it meant. It's like, okay, you can sit through doing something for four years. You can pass the required, you know, checkpoints to, to get a degree. And so we can trust that you are at least a seemingly competent individual to work for our company. But, but that's, it's become so ubiquitous. This is not, doesn't really signal um, excellence the same way that it used to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think you're right. I think you're going to start to see people judge much more on their, their merits when it comes to employment which is a good thing in my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then going to the DEI stuff, we kind we kind of did talk about this prior with like the Disney, the Elon, all this stuff. It, it just really comes down to that whole system, the ESG, the DEI, all the, like the acronym wars have like failed. Like mm. the, the acronym boys, everybody yeah. that has acronyms, like they're just, they're falling apart. And I think we're just going to continue to see that as we're watching this new cultural of like what cool is, is going to change everything. Yeah. What do you guys think is going to happen with Trump this year? He wins the presidency. Republicans probably take the Senate. I think those are both two fights where if it isn't decided in a legal case, it'll go that way um, for Trump. And then it's mostly Republicans to lose, right? So they could botch it. You never know. It could be a, could be a gaffe. Um, are you mostly but, working off of current polling numbers to suggest that? Um, also the map and the difficulties of the map. Uh, also the bifurcation of our social order and the way I think current sentiment is looking when it comes to the overall impression of popularity of the various different candidates. Oh, when you refer to the map, what do you mean? Uh, just which states the Democrats have to defend. Mm. Um, they have a lot of tough states. Uh, and then which ones the Republicans have real opportunities in with solid candidates. So, do you th- Absent shenanigans, I think that's true. Well, I was just going to ask, yeah. what role do you think election integrity, quote unquote, is going to play in the election? I've always been a skeptic of large scale fraud. Uh, I think it's really up to the people who are accusing it to prove it. Very difficult to prove uh, and difficult to litigate. And I get all the challenges there. Absolutely. Um, so I usually take it when I'm doing my analysis as a null variable, right? Could go either way. Um, most of the time it doesn't play a role, uh, but sometimes it might. So um, I wouldn't ever prognosticate on assume, assuming there's going to be uh, something like that because it is it is very difficult. Like I've, it's it's funny because you'll have people who have very strong feelings about this but don't know much about how the electoral system works mm-hmm. in terms of like how authentication of the elections work, um, things like that. And then you have some people who are very well educated on it. Um, what I find is that you know the more you've done actual get out the vote, the realize how difficult it would be to do fraud on the scale of hundreds of thousands of votes. Hundreds of votes, definitely could do absolutely easily, uh, but hundreds of thousands for different, very uh, real hard to scale. For me, yeah. when I'm when I'm saying shenanigans, it's actually less so that type of stuff, and it's more so like Twitter files type of stuff. Yeah, um, <coughs> things like suppression of stories and how the intelligence agencies were very involved in that uh, is no small thing, and. 
polling suggests that if the Hunter Biden laptop story was able to go out uh, effectively and the New York the New York Post didn't get banned from Twitter when that happened, that Trump would have won the election. Um, that's what current polling of that of that story kind of suggests. Uh, that type of stuff is the most um, shenanigan ridden area. Sure. To me. Yeah. Well, I think there there were also legal tactical things that the left were able to execute NG- ballot ballot harvesting for NGOs example changing election rules in very key uh districts and key states mm-hmm. right uh, which, which, ballot which we're talking like we're talking like 400 billion dollars from facebook's foundation but but, but to be like fair that, right that's all legal that's and that's yeah. what i was trying that, to get to what i meant was the illegal stuff of course but yeah. but Yes, the legal things that the left were able to execute effectively, Republicans are going to be much more aware of and much more active in just fighting fire with fire this year. What would you say? Yeah, but I mean, like, ballot harvest has been a thing Republicans have done forever. But obviously not as well. Yeah, well, we don't have... (laughs) Republicans have struggled to have grassroots movements forever. We don't... They don't have the unions, right, where you can pay people to go out and do these sort of things. Um, Republicans don't have the same base. Uh, so fundamentally, they've always struggled to have the kind of people you need to do that well. So if the Republicans are going to win this election, if Trump is going to win this election, are our everyday people going to have to get involved in that way? Yeah, and they will. I mean, I th- I, there's going to be grassroots stuff around this for sure. Cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if the Republicans think they're going to do this all with air warfare, I don't think that's going to work. Um, if Trump... Uh, you know, in the past, he hasn't always had the best ground game. I think he was going to need one if it's a close election um, for these battleground states. Uh, but I imagine they're trying to pull that together. I can't imagine they wouldn't. Yeah. At this point, I mean, they're still flush with money. Why wouldn't they? Also, sure. also, there's a thing, too, with Trump as like, I think oftentimes Republicans kind of forget how much people that aren't in their circles actually do despise Trump. Mm. Like, like just a lot of just regular left-leaning people, they have certain opinions about him and there is no swaying. Like Mm -hmm. there is like a small group there in the middle that can be swayed, but like a large swath of the country cannot be swayed on Trump no matter what. And that, that actually makes him kind of a tricky candidate in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Um, Unlike maybe some new blood, if there was new blood that came in, which it doesn't seem to be, that's going to be the case. Right. But, uh, it's mostly a turn up, a turnout question, right? You're not going to persuade your high propensity voters anyway. They've already decided Trump and Biden. Uh, it's just like that that underlying layer of hundreds of thousands of Americans who don't regularly vote. Can you get them into the process on scale enough to make the difference? Hmm. Yeah, and it looks like Trump has the has the high ground right now on it and it's his to lose and and seemingly the more there seems to be these like legal warfare battles that are going on and and all the things that how we were talking about blowback around trump right here that seems to be energizing people to the point where they're like huh something seems off why does everybody hate him so much you know like that seems to be a factor that exists here and people are becoming more skeptical to the propaganda Mm -hmm. that exists there yeah very interesting well which I, i would say my biggest prediction for 2024 is that there will be an uptick in cyber warfare events um hacking other things i mean we've already seen a good bit of that in 2023 with different like like rumble went down like a week ago or then there was a pretty widespread you know attack so to speak um obviously we've had our our boy klaus schwab at the world economic forum warning about this being sort of the next pandemic and being worse than covid19 uh we recently had the uh the Obamas uh, produce a, 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 a film uh, on Netflix called Leave the World Behind where a cyber attack 
knocks out the grid and it's basically pandemonium and you know everyone's cut off from everyone and all the teslas are being controlled and crashing into one another to block off roadways and and it's it's total chaos and so you know the skeptic in me the the conspiracy theorist in me if you will uh if you want to call it that sees this as maybe a little bit of pre-programming sees sees (laughs) this as program (laughs) well you know we know it exists uh it's been done for events in the past do you remember uh uh, who made who uh by acdc no it was made for a movie um trying to look it up no no no. it was a movie no 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 that was the uh that was the album but it's very it's actually the same premise it was in the 1980s like that the obama movie is actually a rehash i mean yeah it's not it's not a very novel like story arc and in fact it's why i watched it uh it is absolutely full of symbolism Hmm. and i wish that we had wilson's episode out because we talk a lot about that but uh man it's full of symbolism and i I took copious notes about it because i wanted to talk about it if if we were going to maximum overdrive was the was the horror movie or like the kind of disaster movie i'm thinking of yeah that it's it's pretty much the same plot right and it's like that only this take case it's aliens attacking uh, the whole globe rather than a non a, a state actor sure doing the cyber warfare well and i think you know we saw war gaming take place ahead of COVID, right it was i think november or september or november somewhere in that time frame of 2019 there was the the COVID 19 or it wasn't called COVID 19 but it was a pandemic war game that was carried out at the, the global organizational level and then obviously we had this uh pathogen take over the world in the next uh, you know succeeding years and so there was recently a cyber attack war game carried out so my my bet is that we start to experience more of that. That's pre-programming. Yeah. Uh, so I would I would suggest that there's been an increase in. Do you mean state actors or non-state actors? Is one of my I think the more interesting parts of that question because um, increasing amounts of uh, cyber warfare. I guess I, I don't really like that word, right? Because it kind of indicates like state actors, but it should be a larger net than that. It should be state and non-state actors. Because well, I mean, I think you have you have you know kinetic warfare take place between state and non-state actors. So I wouldn't necessarily put a pin in one or the other. Yeah, I, I just think I think in the popular imagination it evokes that. Sure. Right? China, as in the government of China, versus a illegal set of hackers from China. Sure. We don't distinguish between those two things. Right. Um, and it honestly and doesn't I, matter because whatever happens, you know, would, is going to be leveraged. It does matter if it goes into the physical space and it winds up with kinetic warfare with China. And that's what I mean is that yeah. it's going, whatever happens is going to be leveraged by governments anywhere to implicate whomever it is they want to perceive as their enemy. And also to use this plausible deniability, right? Right. The, the NSA hires a black market hacker group to do something that they want right so there's plausible deniability this right. happens with the north korean hacker group there's a very famous north korean hacker group all the time that uh operates in crypto quite a bit and it's always the that is always the person to blame for the reason to imprison this person that made the software program uh try to ban and blacklist these addresses etc cetera, etc cetera, is because they all interacted with this so-called North Korean cyber hacker group. I do think that we're going to see a rise of like cyber syndicates uh, that have become kind of like think back in the day anonymous, how everybody had like this, you know, this fantastical view of anonymous. I think we're going to end up seeing more and more of that, especially as like the sovereign individual archetype starts to rise more. Mm -hmm. We're going to be seeing these like pseudonymous anonymous uh, cyber warfare entities that are like on par with state actors like penguins. Uh, no, no, we're just cute and pudgy. Oh, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> we just have all the developers and we get all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but what a good cover. I think, I think I, I, I'm saying this to agree with you, Joe. I just want to make sure it's clear. Sure. Kind of the, my mental model of it is that there's so many people 
um, who now have, you know, a, tr- a tremendous amount. It's not like it was in the 1990s where you had less than 1% of the population knew how to program, right? Sure. Way, way more people now, way more incentive, way more people who live online completely. Um, the whole infrastructure hacking thing and the pre-programming thing, we should discuss that sometime. Maybe sure. we'll do a, a conspiracy podcast. Like, what, is, what does this mean? Because I have a lot of epistemological questions about it. But the, um, w- you know, we've been warning about cyber attacks since Y2K, once again. Like, this is a perennial problem that we're always talking about. Um, but I do think that the increasing amount of onlineness uh, and state actors making it th- their main shtick uh, is going to make it more likely. Yeah. I I will say something about your budget. There was actually a couple weeks ago uh, a major hacker that was masquerading as a pudgy penguin. <laughs> Am I oh, good or what? Yeah. <laughs> Recently. And turns out I was in a group chat with him. <laughs> oh man. That's how they get Kyle. So, he, but he's just like a large with like hundreds of people in it. So like, yeah. it's like, I've never actually personally interacted with him, but there was a guy that, uh, and you're wondering why your social media accounts got banned. <laughs> but, yeah. but th- that is a thing where a lot of people in these realms, like understanding kind of like hacker culture and uh, cyber culture in, especially like in the crypto space and the AI space and stuff. It is just very like someday there's going to be textbooks written about it sociologically for how these like groups get together and how you end up having people internationally all kind of working together as these like collective brains. Like, like that's the only way I can really describe it is, is it's like this collective brain phenomenon where, and then everybody's like putting thing into like this muscle where you have like all these people with a tremendous amount of buying power of like hacker knowledge mm. of whatever that exists. We didn't there. talk about wall street bets. Mm. Was that this year? That was the, was pre- that, last that was year? the previous yeah. year, but, but, it, but it's the same type of phenomenon, same phenomena, right? Is right. the buying power of it. Yeah. Right. Or is, computing power or whatever you know yeah so like last yeah last bull market you end up having uh the a reddit page that's like collective of all these retail traders that are um you know when COVID happens uh it hurts like amc movie theaters it hurts uh gamestop is going Mm -hmm. under all this stuff and they just pump those numbers up by all going in because supply and demand, like all prices are, it's simple supply and demand. And you all of a sudden have this massive amount of demand just inflowing, uh, uh, kind of artificially because of all this and they just pump the price up and yeah. everybody's like, we're not selling. And that keeps the price up in the market cap high. Right. Um, that there's, we're seeing those types of like economic warfare entities mm. kind of starting to exist. Mm. That, that's just, it's just interesting to watch. Very interesting to watch indeed. And we will have to see how the year carries on. But for now, I think that's everything we got. So unless you guys have any final thoughts, we'll sign off here. If you want to join our cyber syndicate, <laughs> jump into the discord. We're, uh, we're going to be moving markets in no time. I'm sure we've got what, 50, <laughs> 60 people in there. It's great. Uh, we'd love to have you for David, the bald Eagle of Liberty Rand, Kyle, Captain Quigley, Mac, Bennett, uh, our friendly neighborhood Mossad agent and myself uh, Joe Sheehan thanks y'all for watching we'll see you in the next one and happy new year thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction help us fight internet censorship by liking commenting subscribing following and sharing the show with your friends to find us around the internet visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod and remember well, and this is this is what we're going to do to get the program sexy, right? Because we can't. Right. We're not. We're not. We're not cute, right? Sorry, well, Kyle's, Kyle's pretty cute. He larps as a penguin. <laughs> That's default <laughs> cute. You see that penguin profile? Woo. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're. Uh, are we cool? Eh, we're kind of nerdy. 
but we could be hot, right? You, you, super you, hot. You gain some weight. Kyle and I lose some weight, and we're there, right? Done deal. <laughs> Done deal. We're never going to be hot. Hey, not with that attitude. We can, no. we can take cool. We can yeah, take cool. We can I take think. cool. I think maybe. we can get that. Yeah. Okay. As we continue developing this, we can take 